What's up, everyone? It's Denise Salcedo. Welcome back to the channel. I am very excited to introduce to you my guest for today is a former seven-time WWE 24-7 champion. So you better stay hyped because we have Dean Mojamutadi. What's up, Dean? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on today. I like that intro. You got your hype levels right today. I'm with it. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm like, I got to match Mojo's energy. I got to freaking go, you know? <laughs> but um, seriously, Dean, I'm so excited to have you on. You know, obviously, I've been a fan of your work for a very long time. And I got to tell you, it's funny because I don't know how it happened, but we ended up becoming friends on Twitter. And I was like, I need to reach out to him. And I'm not going to lie to you. I held back for a long time to reach out to you because I was like, what if he says no? I don't really feel like being rejected today, but I reached out to you and you were like, yes, let's go. Well, I definitely was going to say no. And then Steve K talked me into it and I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll see what this is about. <laughs> Just <laughs> I'll take it, man. I'll take it. But anyways, I'm super excited to kind of talk to you about a lot of stuff. And I want to start off with this. Uh, you recently put out a tweet uh, at the top of this year that you would probably be returning to pro wrestling in 2024. I don't know if that was tongue in cheek or not. But regardless, I figured I'd get to the bottom of it. Are you returning to pro wrestling this year? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Look, I I have a lot of fun uh, playing with that uh, on the internet. In all honesty, I, I kind of hope so. I really want to. I very much miss wrestling. Uh, I believe it's been three and a half years since my last match. I think it was against Chad Gable, June 2020, um, right when COVID and everything was really ramping up to its all-time high, I got COVID really bad. I ended up having to retire for it. My lungs took a, a beating. Oh, it was brutal for, for such a long time. I didn't know if I was going to uh, be able to come back or not. And I just had so much left in the tank. I had so much I still really, really wanted to do. And, you know, like so many athletes before me, not only wrestling, but any sport, you know, sometimes these things get taken you from you a little bit early. Um, Fortunately, I was able to do some really cool things afterwards, um, you know, started my talent management company with Steve and uh, Paragon Talent Group, and it's been going extremely well, doing a lot of cool things with a lot of cool people and uh, hosting TMZ Sports now as well. Life's been very busy, but it doesn't detract from the fact that I, I still very much miss wrestling, and I'd love to find a way... Um, that I could do all of these things. Honestly, I don't know if it makes sense to to go back to wrestling if I had to give up everything else that that's you know been going on right now that Steve and I have built. Um, but if there was a way to do them all, and I'm hearing there might be a way to do that, then might uh, might have to, might have to be uh, something to consider. Last year we had some offers on the table; it just didn't make sense. But maybe this is the year we we figure it out. Oh man, some offers on the table. I'm curious. Uh, where can you give us any hints? I mean, anything that you thought that hey, maybe there's a chance I might actually do this, or like, because here's the thing. Like, I know that it's clear that you have a lot of different projects that are keeping you busy. But if it wasn't for that, or is it also part of like the lingering effects from COVID? Uh, unless you're already gone through that, that is sort of keeping you from pro wrestling, or is it a bunch of these things? Uh, no, I think it's just, um, you know, everything going on with Paragon right now. It's a all-in, day-in, day-out job. I mean, more or less every waking moment is that's what we're spending on the company. Um, as far as the promotions go, I, I, I'll hold off on that one for now, but I can say it was uh, with one of the bigs, which would have been a really, really cool thing. Uh, we just couldn't uh, figure it out and, and, and make it work. But uh, uh, the COVID side... I, I think I'm a hundred percent at this time. I mean, granted, you know, I've been training on the outside. I actually went and got in the ring this morning and, and did some drilling and conditioning and it felt great. Uh, you know, you just never know unless you're on like a day in day out five days of travel a week, bumping every single day, you know, how you're going to hold up in that situation. And there's just nothing that you can do to replicate that until you do it. So not too much uh, I can do to, to, to explore that route from home. But uh, I mean, I have no signs right now in my life that would make me think that I can't physically have it or physically handle it um, 
based off of how the past few years have gone. So you mentioned just now that you were in the ring today. So before today, when was the last time that you were in the ring? Was it was it your last match or did you at least go in during the like those three years? I've been in a handful of times over the past few years. I've um I I was training at Flatbacks for a bit over there with uh, Spears and Breeze. Uh, they have an incredible school, obviously great coaching, really cool to be back. Uh, to train with those guys. I mean, they they are brilliant. And I think in the wrestling world, I don't think people are aware of of their their minds and what they're capable of. I mean, I've wrestled those guys over a hundred times each, I feel like, and I always learn so much from them every single time. Loved, loved working with them. So it was really cool to be there. I've trained at Devon's school. Devon was always awesome about uh, opening his doors to us. I mean, that's probably the gym that's closest to my house. And then Recently, I've been over there at House of Champions, which uh, just opened up. That's where I was today. I mean, they built a gorgeous facility in their turf field in there. They got cold tubs, saunas, a full gym, 20 by 20 ring, which is extremely challenging to find. I mean, really, really cool place. I mean, shout out to all three of these schools. But uh, yeah, I've been kind of going in just taking some bumps, testing some waters, maybe a practice match here and there for fun, mostly because I love it, I miss it, but uh, partially because, hey, you never know what's around the corner. I know, it's so crazy to think, like, here's the thing, like, you're out here, you know, doing all of these other things, but something keeps something in you, keeps going back, because I think if you were totally and completely done with pro wrestling, I don't even think you'd probably would go in there and still get in the ring, still do all of this stuff. I feel like some part of you is like, oh, you know, I still want to do this a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I definitely still want to, um, as long as I can find a way where it all makes sense, I'm 100% down, but it... It's too fun, man. I I feel like when you have something taken from you or when you get removed from a situation, I feel like your true thoughts uh, con concerning that really come to light. You know, you find out how passionate you are, like how much of it you really miss and, and what matters to you. And, you know, I'm kind of shocked to find out that I I just miss the 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 art of it, you know, the fun of it, wrestling a match. I thought, you know, more than anything, I would miss the WrestleManias, the big crowds and the lights and the jumbotrons and just the pageantry and just the full spectacle of it. And you know what? That's that's probably been the thing that I missed the least, which came as a big surprise to me. I missed the locker room. I missed my friends. I missed traveling the world with everybody. But I missed going out there and just having fun with it and, and competing and feeling challenged and having a difficult, seemingly unattainable goal somewhere off in the horizon. And you just perpetually chasing it and, and giving it your all to uh, see how close you can get. And, you know, it, that's been actually pretty cool and rewarding to see. No, that's, that's, that's cool though, that you're still like, you know, wanting to do that. You're still obviously missing your friends and just everything. I mean, that's going to come with it. Right. Um, so with that being said, do you still watch like WWE on a weekly basis or like how often do you watch? Do you just do the pay-per-views? Like what, what, how often do you keep up? Um, truthfully for, oh man, I don't know how long, but maybe like the first two years or something, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it all. Didn't want to, I was upset. Um, you know, I had some really cool plans around the corner from, from what I heard right before I got sick and, uh, never came to fruition. I feel like I was always right there and turning this major corner in my career to taking it to the next level. So when I was sitting at home and I literally couldn't breathe and I was miserable and my body was just destroyed, uh, watching wrestling, I couldn't do it. I just missed it. I was becoming a hater. That's not me. <laughs> I was hating on so bad. Couldn't, couldn't breathe, let alone wrestle and watching everybody else like not miss a beat. And I was just like, man, this sucks. Uh, but then, you know, I kind of slowly started watching it again. And, you know, when my friends are on, it's, it's easy to want to watch them and support them, especially with uh, some of the people that have come back. It's been really exciting to see. I feel like wrestling has been awesome recently. I mean, storylines are just hitting in a big, big way. And yeah, I, I started watching WWE and AEW again. And obviously, two just completely, completely different shows. I'm so grateful that both exist. 
um, you know, not only for myself personally, but for all the talent. It's just more places to compete at a high level with a different kind of show, which appear, which appeals to different kinds of talent, different kinds of fans. And that is something the business has desperately needed for a long time. It can't be a one-stop shop. It can't be a monopoly. I don't think that does anybody any favors. And uh, yeah, man, wrestling's on top of the world right now. I love it. Well, I'm so glad that you were like, I'm done with my hater face and I'm going to get back to it. But I don't blame you though, because like we hate the things that we cannot have. And at that moment, you felt like you couldn't have that thing. So it's like, oh, like I hate it. I have to can't look at it, you know? So it, was there, do you remember like a moment in you where you were like, you know what? That's it. I'm going to tune in. I'm going to keep watching. Like when did it finally become okay for you to be able to watch again? I think when I could start breathing normally. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's literally when it was when I started feeling like, hey, man, I think I could get back out there and, and do something. And, you know, in the beginning, I'd have like one good day, like I'd start to feel a little bit better. And then one good day, maybe turn into a week and then I would come crashing back down and couldn't wear a T-shirt, couldn't sit against the chair, couldn't breathe, couldn't sleep like back to absolute misery. But when I started getting a little better, my lungs got a little bit more back to normal. Scariest part being is no one knew how to treat this or even diagnose it. No one had any idea what was going on uh, because it was so new. But um, when things started getting back to normal, that's when I could, uh, you know, get back to, to watch it and getting into a ring from time to time and getting back into shape and, and life went back to normal. You know, you... It is true because during that time, during COVID and everything, there's like obviously the early stages where we we're seeing a huge loss of people and just you're mentioning getting COVID and not being able to breathe like that's terrifying. You don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better? Uh, you don't know anything, right? And so for you, was there a moment where you like coming out of that where you kind of found this like new appreciation for just like overall like health overall life because I can only imagine going through something like that that it changes your perspective uh on the way that you see life yeah I mean it really that that's a good way to say it it really changed my perspective on everything you know I was with WWE for like 10 years and um I feel like <laughs> that mojo character started taking over a lot more than, you know, the, the Dean that I came in with. And, you know, anyone that knows me personally, especially for a long time at this point that got to know both Dean and Mojo, the dichotomy between the two was astounding. I mean, these two people are just kind of polar opposites. I mean, sure, there was kind of some underlying theme and principles, but uh life was handled in just a completely, completely different way. And it's easy to kind of um, forget who you are when you're focusing on being who you need to be for your character, especially with wrestling where the lines between the show and reality get just blurred so, so heavily. And people make such a cognizant effort to um, make them one and the same, I guess is, is the best way to say it. So uh, having this time off just got, it allowed me to remember who I was, that, uh, you know, spots on the card didn't define me then, now, or in the future, and start to remember what I was capable of. And um, I kind of got back to to being me a little bit more, and not so much the, the goofy, jokey party guy that, you know, everyone got to see on TV for so long. Uh, and it, it's been awesome. You know, these other things that I've been working on have gone exceedingly well. And I think uh, if I were to return to wrestling, it would be um, it would make a lot more sense. It would be uh, more of the real me. And um, I think that could be interesting. I think so, too. And it's interesting that you say that, though, how like your spot on the card, whether or not you're being used, all of that stuff, it like it plays with your psyche, right? Because all of a sudden you're like, am I that good enough? Uh, uh, how come I haven't done this? Like you start to define yourself by things that are happening versus and you you lose yourself. And I know this because uh, it happens to everybody. So with that being said, I do want to talk about. A, so you've had so many moments in the WWE, obviously, you know, 10 years with the company. And there's some that I kind of wanted to get like your perspective on and the first one that I want to touch on is Wrestlemania 33 not only you winning uh the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal but 
the part where Gronk came in and uh the the what is it the security guard literally just like <laughs> stopped him and thought that like she didn't know who Gronk was so she didn't like she just like stopped him she thought I don't know what she thought uh what was your reaction to that because that's something where I was like this is crazy that this is happening right now I'd love to call that a behind the scenes moment but it wasn't it was right there wide out in the open but that is one of my favorite off the wall things to happen in wrestling during during my entire career mostly because of who who that lady is lisa is her name and she is an absolute badass i mean there are a lot of big burly men that are security guards and uh you, you know protect the wrestlers over there at wwe but i think every single one of them would agree that lisa was absolutely the toughest i mean she wasn't the biggest by any means but man she was not afraid to just dive into something and hearing her tell that story afterwards about knowing that's rob gronkowski and he's eight times her size but having no hesitation regardless of who it was to put her health out of the way and, and dive in there to protect us just mauling Gronk right from the get-go oh my goodness what a bet like think about that for a second think about who Rob is and what he's capable of and physically what he can do and and this small lady just diving in there and jacking him up that was the funniest thing in my head the whole time I was like I can't wait to just destroy Rob later for this about how she jacked him up but uh we we let her know then it was kind of I mean Bringing Rob in was kind of a, a last minute thing. I had heard that I was going to be going over in the Andre and I was super thrilled about that. I think they had kind of built that storyline to that over a course of maybe like a month leading in. And, you know, we're trying to think of ways to punch it up. And we had this idea to bring Rob in. Rob always wanted to do something with me over at uh, WWE. And this was just the perfect time. So it just made sense. But it was just kind of thrown together last minute, which is crazy for these outside athletes and celebrities. They're not used to just this entire thing, this global spectacle being dumped on their lap with like a half an hour heads up or day of kind of thing. And yeah, we, we, we put it together that day and it was so last second. No one told security. No one told anyone else that was associated with the show. And yeah, then that's what happens. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was so funny. I remember when that moment when it happened, it was like this holy dang that just happened moment because it's it's funny because in WWE, like everything gets handled, right? Everything gets taken care of. There's like a zillion people doing all of these different jobs. So for that one little slip up for her not to be informed, it was this like really funny thing to watch. But it was also like you said, like seeing her just like go up. She was like a big giant red stop sign uh, for Gronk where he couldn't like, get through and she was blocking him i mean it was wild so it definitely kind of made for like an additional moment on top of the entire thing it was incredible um was there ever a plan or ever any uh you know concrete real plan to have gronk wrestle a match in wwe yeah actually um what year was it? It was the year we had the the COVID WrestleMania that was in the Performance Center. 36. Yeah, so that one, Rob was going to come in and we were going to work towards a tag match, actually. Um, and we were going to do this tag match in Boston where he had just you know finished playing for the Patriots because SummerSlam was there. And we were kind of talking about who our opponents might be, but we were going to do this match. And, um, you know, I think it was going to end with some fireworks and me turning on him, setting up a one-on-one -on -one match in, in Saudi, actually. And we had, like, this really cool storyline in place. And um, Rob was all in on it. He was ready to go. He was going to make this his, his full-time thing, which – uh, I always thought it was awesome because I know how much money that would have cost him giving up other opportunities. I know what he would have made here and I know what he makes on the outside and he would have lost a ton of money to do this, but he was so jacked up about it. And, uh, you know, we were sitting there, I want to say it might've been like the week before. Anyways, his phone started blowing up with his agent calling and Tom Brady calling and we're at 
I think it was SmackDown at the time. And Tom told him that he was going back to football, that he was going to the Bucks, and he should consider coming out of retirement. And I think Rob had like 10 million on his contract for that year if he went back and, you know, starting over fresh, you know, fully healed. It was kind of a no-brainer for him. Of course, they went on to win the Super Bowl that year, so he absolutely made the right decision. But had to that Tom Brady not ruined it, <laughs> we would have had a real cool storyline for uh, maybe that year. Oh, my God. That's so freaking wild. And speaking also of WrestleMania 36, he did do that spot for the 24-7 championship, pinning you and becoming 24-7 champion. But here's the thing, though. Uh, I want to get your perspective and also the uh, behind the scenes of what happened when Vince McMahon, there's a video out there uh, that was floating around with Vince McMahon teaching Rob how to uh, basically jump off of this platform that I guess was like 10 feet high or so. And Vince McMahon at the time is like 70 something, 74. I don't know at that point. And he just does it so fearlessly. Uh, talk us through that. That whole series was absolutely ridiculous. So like I just said, I now know that Rob's going back to football. He is keeping it under wraps. So I couldn't, I couldn't say anything about it, right? So uh, we're trying to figure out how to do this spot. I Rob might have, you know, I can't remember exactly, but he might have told Vince or somebody that, you know, he was going to go back just so they could prepare internally in the company. Uh, anyways, I remember Matt Bloom came up to me and he had just gotten that Matt Bloom, the head coach of NXT, who was always a, a really good friend to me, kind of like a big brother, actually, in addition to being a coach. But he came up to me after the production meeting and he's like, said something along the lines of, oh, Rob's, Rob's jumping off the top tonight. I was like, what do you mean? And he tells me the idea for the spot. And I was like, no, he's not. Absolutely no, he's not. Are you kidding me? This guy hasn't been trained. He hasn't spent a second inside a ring. You're going to have him jump off the ceiling? Absolutely not. He's like, Mojo, it's all good. We went out and we got all the seven-footers from NXT. We got every tall person on this entire roster, and he's going to have 30 people catching him. He's going to be fine. And I was like, what if he gets excited and overjumps him? What if someone drops him on his head and he breaks his neck and he misses, you know, out on – like, that's going to be on me. Like, I was like, absolutely not. This is not going to happen. Like, I – you know, I didn't even know how high the jump was going to be at first. I was just like, this is, Rob's not going to know what to say. He doesn't know how crazy it is. I have to stand up for my friends. So I'm like talking with Bloom and I was just like really uneasy about it. They talked to Rob and, you know, Rob's trying to figure it out. We're, we're going through it. And then Vince just pops out of nowhere. And he's like, oh, it's super simple. You know, he's like, watch this. And he literally pulls out his money clip, which, by the way, was was fat. I, he had a lot of cash on him. Hands it to me, gives me his phone. He's like, Rob, it's just like this. And he takes the stairs up. There's a crash pad on the ground. Steps over the rail with absolutely zero hesitation. Just jumps to the floor and takes the back bump on the crash pad. Like, when you think about it, that bump is a thousand times worse than what Rob ended up having to take because with those seven footers, by the time they fully extended their arms up, Rob's only fallen like six inches, if that. And then he's got <laughs> 20 people to catch him. Could not have been an easier stunt in the end. But falling all that way onto a crash pad, I mean, yeah, it's a cushion, but you're still falling with a lot of height. And it's not that much give. And it's not like, you know, Vince is 20 years old or something gets back up like it was nothing is like see it's easy and i literally looked over at rob and i was like well now you have to do it right at that point it's like there's no you can't go back on that you're just gonna look really bad if you don't you're in pal i don't know what else to tell you you're doing it and that's it how did he feel afterwards when he, he, loved actually it. he was did all it. hyped up i mean anyone that comes in from the outside and gets to do this for a little bit regardless of how they felt about it beforehand, what they thought it was beforehand, because no one can ever anticipate exactly what it is until you do it. I mean, you leave thrilled. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever really seen an outside athlete or celebrity come in and leave and be like, that sucked or that wasn't for me. Like, they are all giddy 
it it's being being a pro wrestler is second to none. There isn't anything else like it on the planet. So I mean, he was he was jacked up. He was all fired up. He was almost disappointed he was going back to football. <laughs> he was like, I want to jump off of something higher. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, he technically ended up doing so. I watched when he did the uh, the skydiving thing. That was crazy. Oh yeah, that was that was really cool. That was a <laughs> highlight for him this year for sure. That's awesome. Were you there for that, or did you watch from TV? No, I, I watched it. I, I wasn't there for it. I was. Uh, I guess he had someone on his back, so he he was good. Yeah, he was a man, he would have done it by himself, but whatever. <laughs> oh damn! Shots fired. <laughs> and I wouldn't have done it myself either. <laughs> so have you ever done it? I've never done it. No. Oh my god! Now you have to. <laughs> I'm gonna call uh, Justin Gabriel. I mean, that guy's done it probably ten thousand times. He used to do it before live events. He'd find some place in whatever city we were in and he'd go off and do a jump and then go to the show. It was crazy. Oh my God. That's that's, that must be like exhilarating. My God. Um, okay. So, you know, when you think about just like everything, everything that you were able to do at WWE, obviously we talked about some of these very cool moments for you. Like what's the things that you've looked back at most fondly and what are some of the things you wish would have gone differently? Um, most fondly, I mean, my first international tour might have been the best two-week period of my life or three-week period of my life. I mean, that was so much fun. I mean, it was wrestling every single night in a country I haven't been to, going out and exploring and partying and just uh, having fun with, with the roster. I mean, tour is such a great bonding experience, especially your first couple ones when you haven't been to all these places a dozen times yet. Uh it is really cool. And I remember having some really awesome matches with, you know, guys like Apollo and again, Tyler Breeze and some of these people kind of, um, there was a group of us that, um, you know, we're kind of in that like mid card range that were chomping at the bit. They were like just starving for, for a good spot on TV. We're, we're willing to do anything for it. And, you know, live events, we just went out there and we tried to prove people wrong and, show people what we had that we knew for a fact they they didn't know we were capable of and i remember having just some awesome awesome matches with uh those guys and some others um on tour so i always look fondly uh upon that as far as maybe things that uh, i wish would have gone differently you know um stay hyped was never supposed to mean what it came off as on tv and that was always something that kind of was cringe to me later on. It wasn't just supposed to be fun, loving and, and goofy and partying and always excited all the time. Stay hyped was supposed to be, I'm always on, I'm always hyped up. I'm, I'm here with a great attitude and I'm working as hard as I can first to show up last to leave, asking for a thousand different things, not wanting to be, you know, awesome at one thing, being awesome at all things and, and literally just having no off switch whatsoever. And that's who I was as a football player. That's who I've been after, after wrestling and somewhere in the middle there just kind of became like a, a fun lighthearted thing. And I think that can be the difference between, you know, being a gimmick and being a main eventer is how you position yourself and the, the persona you put off. And I think one of those things was, was fun for a little bit of excitement for, you know, an opener on the card. And one of those things could have had some, uh, serious legs that could have gone a lot differently. I mean, look, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be one of those people that blames the people writing on the show and say it was all on them. And I was there and, you know, we should have, they should have seen what they had. Um, of course you always want to prove people wrong and show that they were wrong about you. But, you know, I think it's always, you know, two sides of the street, you know, it's on both sides of the fence. I think, you know, I needed to do more to show people who I really was and try different things and bring in that new approach and find a way to thread the needle and to, uh, to bring that out. But yeah, looking back, I would have liked to have uh, changed that for sure. Yeah. You know, hearing your perspective, your, your version of staying hyped versus the version that we saw. Yeah. It is very different, you know, to, to those two different versions. And so hearing that to me is very interesting because I always thought that it was supposed to be the version that WWE uh, basically was showing us. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how it came across and I, I can't knock it entirely. I mean, it's extremely 
easily digestible that way. Okay, that's the fun guy. That that's the party guy. You know, that's that's the hype guy. Whatever. Like that's you know putting a label on that. It's easy for fans to get it. And, and there's that. And I, I also can't fault him too because being that fun loving guy um, got me on the card way before I probably should have. I mean, I debuted in NXT unbelievably fast and I barely knew how to wrestle at the time. I knew like a few things, uh, but because I had something that people could bite into and, and get behind and there was all that energy and it was contagious, I debuted extremely fast. So I can't like knock it entirely because it got my foot in the door uh, we just never, I guess we failed on the opportunity to evolve it and capitalize upon that initial run. Yeah, because it was freaking cool, man. I mean, I like you you going out there and being like Mojo Raleigh staying hyped. I'm like, yeah, that's a dude that, you know, all these other dudes are going to want to party with, hang out with, you know, it, it's the, like the frat guy type of thing. And you're like, you've got that vibe going. And it's like, it, it is something that I think is, um, you know, people want to connect with and associate with and all of that so that's definitely something that i did enjoy seeing now i'm curious on your perspective on this because you know your background was in football and now wwe has this next in line program the the nil program for you like what advice would you give to those guys that are you know former football players going into wwe and are you know also having that that transition similar to how you did yeah um it's, I mean, one, the, the obvious is to come in humble and hungry. I don't care if you were a 10-year starter in the NFL and you got four Super Bowl rings. When you start out in a different industry, whether it's wrestling or elsewhere, you can't come in acting like you've accomplished everything because in that industry, you've done nothing. I mean, you have to come in ready, ready to make mistakes, ready to learn, uh, ready to start over from the absolute bottom of the totem pole because people know who you are and that can be used for you or that can be used against you. I mean, if you're coming in as this cocky, accomplished athlete from any other sport, you're going to have a target on your back and, and nobody wants to work with a know-it-all or, you know, work with someone that, uh, thinks that success is supposed to be handed to them. Whereas by the same token, maybe you are that 10 year superstar and you have all this experience. Imagine how well you'd be, you'd be received by the locker room. If you're the one sweeping the ring after practice and getting your hands dirty and actively showing people that might even be younger than you, you know, that you're not you're not afraid to to get your hands dirty and start out from nothing. People will see that and they will absolutely appreciate it. Of course, you're supposed to do that and, and you should do that. And if um, you know you're not willing to, well, maybe this isn't the move for you. Go go somewhere else. Um, people will notice, like you know, this this guy's a big deal, and look look how he's carrying himself. And that goes just such such a long way. I very, very much tried to be that guy when I, when I first started, I mean, my NFL career was, was pretty short anyway. So it's not like I was going to come in all big and bad and puffed up, you know, regardless, that's not who I am as a person, but I, I would recommend that for anyone coming in new, you know, treat it like you really are a first day trainee and come in humble and hungry and let, let your uh, gifts do the rest because I think wrestling needs a bit of both. They need people that come from wrestling. They need people that come from the outside when everyone can kind of co coexist and capitalize off each other's strengths. I mean, that's when the magic happens. That, that's most that's so true man and like I think about that and like for one example I mean not an athlete but uh you know someone that's big in music Bad Bunny uh you know he went out there and had some incredible work that he did and all of the wrestlers that I ever hear speak about him they kind of attest to like you know how like how, how much work and he put into the actual matches and everybody always mentions the work the work the work right because when somebody comes from you know whether it's sports or any sort of celebrity you could easily be like oh I'm not gonna do anything or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Right. But yeah, being humble. And I think putting in the work is definitely the right way to go about it. So speaking of putting in the work, you were mentioning earlier, uh, your new project that you've been working on, which is the talent agency, Paragon Talent. Uh, I'm curious, like, 
how did this come about? How did this uh, idea concept come about for you in terms of putting it into pro wrestling? Because it's not something that we're used to seeing in the world of professional wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, with pro wrestling, there's very few agents and, and managers, you know, there isn't much representation in this game. I mean, when you're with one of the bigs, like they have teams of people to cover everything that you need. Um, sometimes though, as with any business, those entities might look out, look out more for the business than the individual, you know, you're building a company, not just a solo person. And that's completely understandable, but that's why agents and managers exist to go to bat for the individual. And I think that's extremely important. And unfortunately in wrestling, that's just hasn't been a thing. And, you know, I have my business degrees. I, I got my MBA when I was 21 at Maryland. Um, you know, I, I have the background on, on wall street and, you know, I also came from the NFL where everybody had an agent, like nobody negotiated their contracts on their own. I mean, that isn't even a thought in somebody's head. And that's almost the opposite. Very few people have representation in wrestling. And I, I always knew that that needed to change. And I thought with my background, I could be the guy to plug in and fill that role. I was coming off of 10 years in the ring and I knew I couldn't wrestle anytime soon because of my lungs from COVID. And I was like, I think this makes a lot, a lot, a lot of sense. Uh, to, to plug in and, and be that guy. And in some ways, maybe add more value to this industry than I ever could have as a talent. So I had this idea for a long time. I always wanted to do it. So the second I became available, I called Steve Kay, who was one of my best friends, who was the talent buyer at the Hard Rock in Vegas, whose job was literally kind of doing the, the corporate side of this. Um, actually had a, a stint with WWE on the corporate side, on, um, on the talent side as well. And I, I pitched him this idea. And I don't think I even had to finish my first couple sentences, like 10, 15 seconds in, he was sold. He was like, I'm in, let's do it. And we started this company together. And you know, it really took off. And at this point, shoot, we're working with 250 talent that we've done paid deals for, you know, since we started in about, I don't know, like two and a half years. And, you know, we're doing everything from long-term contract negotiations with, with all the bigs to, you know, indie shots, appearances, meet and greets, autograph signings to third-party brand deals, sponsorships and partnerships. Uh, we're even securing visas for the international talent because if they get fired by the bigs, they're going to get deported. They get sent right back home after they created this awesome life. Maybe they have like a significant other, um, maybe that they haven't married yet that, that that's here and they're going to get torn away from them and everything they know and shipped right back home. And luckily with the work we're doing at Paragon, we've been able to help out and keep people, keep people here and, you know, on the scene and, and doing their thing. And it's been uh, incredibly, incredibly rewarding. Um, probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done. It's probably the busiest thing I've ever been associated with, which is kind of crazy coming from football and wrestling. And, you know, that's, again, probably the main reason I, I'd probably say the only reason why I haven't been able to get back into the ring yet. I haven't been able to find a situation that allows me to not miss a beat um, with what we're doing here and, you know, still get back in the, uh, the ring to, you know, hard not to look at it as scratching a selfish itch kind of a thing. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at. It, it's been awesome, but yeah, I'm trying to figure it all out. It's <laughs> is why it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I get it. When you said 250 talents, I'm like, oh my God, like trying to keep track of like that many people and everybody has their own particular, uh, you know, situation. Everyone's so different in what they're doing. I think that's like, it's wild. Uh, so for you, like, what is the ultimate goal? Um, you know, plugging away and expanding this company doing more and more you know protecting the athletes reintroducing the outside world to to pro wrestlers and, and what they can deliver i mean i we all know it how many times do you hate talking to people about wrestling people average people on the street and they're like oh i used to watch in the attitude era and I haven't watched since i mean unfortunately that is a significant portion um 
of the general public. And, you know, part of what we're doing is to try and curb that. I mean, especially on the brand side, I mean, I believe wholeheartedly having been a football player and, and then a wrestler, you know, I think professional wrestlers are just the absolute best brand partners uh, for any business out there, you know, for any marketing or advertising, you know, business that they have. I mean, all of our wrestlers are one of one immediately identifiable international brands and personas. Our, our wrestlers are masters of going out there on a microphone and winning a crowd instantaneously. You talk about brand creation, creating their gimmicks, brand marketing, public speaking, adaptability to change, flexibility, all of these corporate buzzwords that these guys are looking for. That is what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And when brands and managers can find out what our talent are capable of and what they're already doing, I mean, Paragon has been successful for a reason. And uh, that, that's what I'll say about that. It just makes so, so much sense for, for anybody out there. And I really feel like, you know, in doing this, you're sort of filling this void because like you mentioned the difference between like the football world where everybody has, you know, their agent, their people that you work with. Uh, and in pro wrestling, like it's almost like it's, we're like sort of behind the times when it comes to stuff like that. So seeing this, it's a, it's pretty groundbreaking for the world of professional wrestling. Uh, do you only do professional wrestlers or do you also do like other athletes as well? Uh, no, we work with some other athletes too. Um, we work with musicians and other random artists as well. I mean, the roster is, is pretty large, but the vast, vast majority of our focus is on wrestlers. Obviously, I know that space uh, better than any other space out there. You know, personally, I'm able to sell the wrestlers. Uh, in fact, when I do my business meetings, my corporate business meetings with boardrooms sometimes, I dress like this, no sleeves, the mojo chain, my pit vipers, because I want them to see that we're characters and we're personalities. I mean, look, if I need to throw on a sleeveless suit or something like that to class it up, I, I got those too. But, you know, I, I want people to feel that and see that. And uh, yeah, it's just worked out well. What's been the feedback from some of your uh, talent? Uh, I think the talent have been thrilled. I mean, it, it, it's stressful for us, you know, having 250 talent as a growing business. You know, a lot of people we have on non-exclusive contracts because we would never want to prevent money from coming into their pockets. You know, we just want the ability to, to add to those pockets and expand their brand if we can. But I think all the talent know that this is a much, much needed space. And um, I think we've been able to do a lot of good for a lot of people I lost track at this point, but I think, you know, last year, maybe the year before, I think in our first year as a company, actually, I want to say we had a dozen of our talent that we made more money for them in their first year out of, you know, WWE or wherever than the highest paying year that they ever had in the company. And I thought that was an incredible testament, not just to, to, to our hard work with Paragon, me and Steve, but to what the talent are capable of, to the opportunity that's awaiting everybody on the outside. Um, I mean, I feel like that speaks volumes for you to make more right away, you know, than you ever did in your, your best year. I mean, some of these people were wrestling for 20 years. I mean, kind of as a wake up call for everybody. I mean, imagine if you could have that, that massive wrestling salary and do all this stuff on the outside. I mean, that's what everybody should striving to, but there are some rules in place to to limit that, but we're, we're working on that. Man, that's awesome. I really think what you guys are doing over there is incredible. So uh, that's really awesome. All right. Now, I do want to go ahead and uh, transition into this lightning round game that I play with all of my guests where I ask them 10 random questions. You answer them however you please. Uh, it's just a way for people to get to know you just a little bit better. So here we go. Uh, question number one, what's harder, football or pro wrestling? Oh, man. I mean, they're both very, very difficult in their own right. Um, I, But pro wrestling is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely the answer, especially when you talk about the mental component. Pro wrestling's harder. There's no off-season in pro wrestling. Question number two. Who parties harder, wrestlers or football players? Oh, wrestlers for sure. Minus maybe a couple of football players. There are some really good partiers in the sport of football, but 
pro wrestling different city every single day yeah we throw down <laughs> <laughs> that's what i imagine that's what i imagine question number three would you ever go on naked and afraid who have you been talking to i read your tweets i saw okay. the tweets oh my Ah, man. I was going to say, I'm going to throw this question in here and he's going to know for a fact that I'm stalker type. But no, I know, like do my research ahead of interviews and stuff and try to find unique questions to ask. Well, uh, I don't want to say anything too soon and I absolutely won't say who, but there is a Paragon talent that we are working with Naked Afraid now to see if it would make sense for them to uh, to get on and, and, and do a, an episode. But uh I would say probably not, unless it was like the XL, XL where I got a team and I got some of the some of the pros on there, uh, Matt or Jeff or maybe both because there are tribals. Uh, that would be pretty cool. But uh, nah, man, I am not a survivalist. I don't have any interest in showing my goods on TV. Uh, I don't know how long I would last. And absolutely, if I went on that show once, a comeback would totally be out of the question when I inevitably lose 200 pounds. So no way. I'm you got to start working on that fire. That's one thing I want to watch but not do. Yeah. I love it, man. Uh, question number four. Who is your pick to win the Super Bowl this year? Ooh. I was just about to say these lightning rounds. I'm, I'm giving long-winded answers here. Oh, but then you answer win. however you want. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pick. I, I don't know if they're going to win, but I want them to win the Detroit Lions, which is crazy to say as a Green Bay Packer fan, but Detroit winning the division for the first time in 30, 30, 30 years. A division is just four teams, and the first time they've beaten the other three teams is 30 years ago. And Dan Campbell, the head coach, huge, huge fan. Uh, give me the Lions. That's what I'm going with. Packers fans, I still love y'all. You're still my team, but uh, whatever. Don't judge me. <laughs> Question number five. What are your top three favorite candies? Top three favorite candies? Well, I stopped eating candy. I'm trying to get back in shape, you know, so candy is out the window. Um, I couldn't even, I don't think I could give you a top three, but I'll give you a number one since it's candy because I'm more of like a crackers kind of a guy, like a cheese it kind of thing or goldfish, but Starburst is, is my one. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. But also shout out to the goldfish and the and the cheese its and all of that. And those Cheetos, are delicious. Cheetos, those three. So good. So good. Question number six. What do you consider the craziest thing you've ever done? Can't answer that question on here. Won't answer it. I couldn't even give you my top 20 craziest things past. <laughs> I'm sure that's the one question everybody wanted from me. too. <laughs> Everyone's like, huh, what has he done? All right. All right. Hey, you were honest. Question number seven. In WWE, who were your favorite road trip buddies and why? Ooh. Uh, man, kind of makes me sad. Um, Bray Wyatt was absolutely one. We would mix it up. Me, Bray, um, Fandango, and Braun, we kind of had like a rotation based off of, you know, who was on what shows at the time. Um, that was a really, really, really special time in my life. EC3 was a part of that at one point, too. Um, you know, it all just kind of depended on what shows you're on, but that that was a good stretch right there with those guys. Man, we had the time of our lives. I love that. Question number eight. Uh, what is your favorite Matt Cardona story? <laughs> My favorite Matt Cardona story. There's just way too many. Um, I feel like it was my mission in life to, to mess with broski, especially when we were tagging together. But fun fact, broski hates 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 getting chopped he absolutely hates it so i used to do this spot where i'd like i'd snap him and leave him in the middle and he had no idea what was coming and i'd rev it up and all kinds of mojo hype run the ropes like 20 times get everyone like losing their mind and then i just stop and back chop him because he hated a back chop way more than a chest chop and i remember him absolutely being deep in a cell and him just totally leaving it and getting up and attacking me because he was so pissed off that, that, that I did him like that. So that, that that's one for you.
I love that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Question number nine. Uh, what is your favorite Vince McMahon story or moment? Ooh, well, the, the Rob one is pretty good diving off the, uh, the top thing. So I'd probably, I'd probably have to say that one. I, again, it's been a while since I've had to uh, think about these, but I'm, I'm going to say that one. That's a good one. It's a really good one. Question number 10, last one. What is the one thing you have never done, but have always wanted to do? Ooh, we're getting deep with it now. Be a billionaire? Like, be a trillionaire? I don't know. That would be pretty cool. (laughs) I agree with that one. I don't even know what I would do with that much money, to be honest (laughs) with you. You know what? What's the point, right? It's just for status at that point, I think. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not a it's not a bad problem to have. Hey, what can I do with all of these millions and millions of dollars? Well, I think about it. I had that conversation with somebody else uh, recently, actually, and I was like, I mean, I know these are all just astronomical numbers, but I mean, is there anything that you would do with a billion dollars that you wouldn't have been able to do with like a hundred million dollars, fifty million dollars? I think we were talking about Mark Cuban selling the Mavericks. It's like, oh, he can go out and buy whatever he wants. It's like, well, he could have done that before he sold the team. He already had the funds. So what really changes at that stage in your life other than, like, trying to climb the the list of richest people in the world? I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like for, like the only thing that I can think of, it was like if somebody wants to buy a th- buy a team, right? Because it's like, oh, you got to have a lot of money to buy a team. But other than that, I mean, yeah, you buy yourself a nice fancy house and then you travel the world and that's not going to take up all that money. I don't want to buy a team. I, I don't know if I'd have, <laughs> I mean, at my this stage in my life, I'd, I'd want to play on the team or I'd want to coach the team. I, I buy the team and then I... Yeah, sure. I mean, I have some like uh, broad strokes, you know, huge decisions to make, but I don't know. I mean, how, I don't know. The coach and the players is where the action and his excitement is. That that would be more appealing to me. Yeah, definitely. Oh, man. Alrighty. Well, Dean, I want to thank you so much for doing this interview. It was so much fun to get to catch up with you, get to know you a little bit more, of course. Uh, please let the people know where they can follow you, where they can uh, check out everything that you're doing, because you're doing a lot. Absolutely. Well, stay hyped is my Instagram, Mojo Mutati on Twitter. And uh, yeah, check out Paragon Talent Group. We're, we're doing a ton over there and uh, it's only going to get bigger and bigger by the day. Uh, Steve and I talk about it all the time. We've got some pretty cool things coming up in the works that I think everybody will enjoy. So stay tuned. Stay hyped. Stay tuned. Stay hyped. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned in to the interview. As always, please do not forget to like and subscribe and we will catch you guys on the next one. Bye, everyone.